Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're checking out Kenneth Branagh's Death on the Nile. The new Agatha Christie movie is out and about, or based on an Agatha Christie novel, is out and about, and we're excited to talk about it. Uh, we went and saw it, and we're going to let you know if it's worth your time. We have a ton, a ton of movie trailers to dig through. Likely the most we've ever had on this show before in one episode. And we're going to be hitting those in between our reviews. We have a small review for Drive My Car, Japan's entry into the Academy Awards this year. Uh, only one of us got to go see it. It is quite long, and I'm going to tell you whether or not it is worth your time. And before we get to all of that, we need to talk about the news. First things first, MoviePass is coming back. Andy, what the hell is this? How is MoviePass coming back? We, this, back this from the win. grave. Somehow. I don't, I don't believe it. For those of you who don't remember, MoviePass was a movie subscription service that launched just a few years ago. Uh, and 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 blew up, got critical acclaim when they announced that you could go see any movie in the United States for a low, low price of $10 a month. As many movies as you wanted, I think, at any theater. It was insane. People abused it. The whole company burned out, and, and it left a, <laughs> a, an impact on the industry in its wake. How is this back, Andy? What, what's, what's going on here? The dead speak. The dead speak. Uh, <laughs> Somehow Palpatine returned. Somehow yeah. movie pass returned. Somehow. Um, well, uh, Stacy Spikes, uh, a founder of Movie Pass, which actually it launched sometime around 20, 2011, but it was at a like a fifty dollar price point. It was pretty hefty. Um, he kind of backed out away from the company when it got sold to Helios and Matheson. Has bought it back out of bankruptcy and plans to move forward with uh, new pricing tiers, new model to uh, try to create a subscription service that. Uh, audiences can use it will not be the ten dollar you know dumpster fire that <laughs> that we witnessed a few years ago um that that was really in insane it's he's going to be partnering primarily with smaller theater chains and art house uh places it it they say in this article he can't compete with like loyalty programs like amc stubs or cinemark whatever it's called. Uh, You're a subscriber to Cinemark, whatever it's called. I know. Called. Uh, they got me, but I don't remember what it's called. Uh, <laughs> so it's going to be interesting because it's not going to be the free-for-all Wild West that it was a few years ago. It's going to be something different. And while it was a huge joke because, I mean, the company crashed and burned. They were burning through cash like no one's business. Burned out in like nine or ten months. Uh, it, it, it did change the industry. Like we didn't have subscriptions or loyalty programs uh, until then. So they were the... They kicked off. Everyone's got a, some sort of loyalty program now. Um, so it did make an impact. And we'll see kind of, you know, the details are still really kind of scarce. We don't know what the price points are. We don't know what the tiers are. We don't know how they're going to try to incentivize theaters and moviegoers themselves. Um, so we'll uh, we'll see. I think maybe this summer it might be out. Yeah, uh, it's it's definitely it's definitely dicey from a PR side of things. Um, Andy's right; like MoviePass undeniably changed the way movie theaters are approaching customers. Like before MoviePass, they had AMC stubs, but like it was free. I think they might have had some kind of paid tier so you could get concessions, but there really weren't additional screenings involved. Maybe some kind of discount at the box office. But Cinemark also did not really have a plan for this. And following up on MoviePass, I mean. God, I remember that summer going to see movies and on the box offices, there were like printouts posted by management that were like not accepting movie pass. Do not use movie pass cards here. Like it was a dude, it was a whole thing. It was a it up upturned the industry in the best way. And the numbers coming out of movie pass are crazy. They're saying they had something like three million users seeing something like fifty million films in a year, 
Which is nuts. And they say that it was actually a really big boon for smaller cinema, right? Independent, uh, independent films, which is true. Uh, according to their data, um, their biggest, their biggest, the thing they moved the needle on the most, sorry to bother you, uh, had something like 19.7% of its viewers using a movie pass stub to get in. So it's definitely helpful. I think it shakes up the industry and it encourages people to see more films. It's really a shame there's not like a good, economic way to work it and also you now can't beat what amc and cinemark are offering their own loyalty customers i I don't i I don't know how they get out of this yeah it's going to be a a real challenge but the way they did kind of you know allegedly help smaller films is pretty interesting because people will only want to spend money on kind of guarantees you know big movies star wars marvel spider-man that sort of thing something lesser known independent people are less likely to risk going to see but if you can see it on a budget or see it you know at a discounted price you know you don't feel so bad if it's not a great film so that it definitely could continue to help out the independent market right but obviously it's got to make sense from a business side i i've i've heard they're gonna have some kind of virtual currency called credits it says here uh i've read somewhere there's a rumor about eye tracking technology that'll play ads for you and will only actually give you credits if you watch them and it's anybody's guess what new movie pass is going to be but when it comes out keep it here on oscript to find out what exactly is going on because we are totally going to dig into it so you know keep, keep, keep listening to your boys here on oscript film review next up uh the oscars have hosts uh this is actually Kind of a two-part story. Uh, number one, the Oscars announced late last week that they were going to have multiple hosts this year at the Oscars. And then number two, they actually announced them just the other day. So we've got uh, who is going to be our Oscar announcers. Andy, I know I stuck this in last minute, so I can run with it for a minute. Do you want to do the honors? you want to, I mean, tell everybody who's, who's going to be presenting yes, uh, the most prestigious th- awards of the year? We have uh, three women, three comedians, I believe. Regina Hall, Amy Schumer, and Wanda Sykes. Uh, to host they usually get a comedic type person uh for these roles i don't i don't really particularly think of any of these people as particularly super funny but um it's an interesting approach obviously they're trying to aim at younger people aim at uh, you know get more diversity on stage Uh, but funny enough the in recent memory the most successful oscars was the one that was hostless uh, where they they just had the the stars kind of do a little bit of the heavy lifter or the announcers. Uh, yeah. But also what what I've understood is that it's a tough gig because it, it's a full like three three and a half hours. It's a lot of writing. It's a lot of time out of people's uh, you know busy entertainment schedules. And so by divvying it up into three people, they, they're basically each going to take a, a, an hour segment. Um, you just you get more variety in your hosts it's easier for your host to to get in on it and also they don't take as much of a hit because it's a high profile gig and if it bombs it a lot of times it's unfairly blamed on the host so at least blame can kind of go around this time if that's if that happens it's true i i am not excited about this at all um look i i am excited that they have women hosting the oscars i'm excited that there's some diversity i do like wanda sykes i don't know regina hall and i'm not an amy schumer fan so i'm pretty pretty lukewarm on the actual picks but what was surprising was i feel like how many people suggested folks who seemed like more aspiring hosts. I mean, we were seeing rumors for people like Tom Holland to host the Oscars this year is kind of a, you know, 
Yeah, like a like a, a, she, a, a sheep in the middle of the, I don't know, like just kind of running around wide-eyed, like, uh, you know, doing his Peter Parker thing. Uh, people said uh, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez from Hulu's Only Murders in the Building should host as the three hosts. Also, worth mentioning, they <laughs> when asked, they said they, they, they were approached by the Academy but were unavailable, which poses an interesting question. Uh, was this the Oscars' first pick for hosts? No. Or was this who they could get? Because everybody said no. Well, I, like I said, I don't know if they said that they would be doing, you know, this segmented uh, approach, which I think that helps because no one wants to take on the three-hour show by themselves. I don't care, like, how good of an entertainer you are. Yeah. Um, that's just a lot to show. It's a lot out of people's schedule as well, like, for rehearsals and things like that. Uh, so, but yeah, but it's also, it's become a notorious gig, notoriously difficult to have and to do well and not be ridiculed the next day. So, I mean, most people probably passed on it. Yeah. I, I, I don't envy anybody who's got that job. Uh, when asked this morning on good morning America, uh, Amy Schumer said, quote, I'm not sure who thought this was a good idea, but I'm hosting the Oscars along with Wanda Sykes and Regina Hall. I had better go watch some movies. Really excited about the Oscars this year, guys. Oh, God. So keep it here on Script for more Tom, from, from the Tom, Oscars. <laughs> Tom Holland would have been great. You, you bring in the he guy from from the biggest movie of the last two and a half years. Oh, God. You could uh, joke about it not getting, like, hardly getting any noms. Um, yeah. He you know, and he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's wiry and kind of short. He'd be running around. You know, like, he, he would have been, I think, a really good pick. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, the Oscars is an A-list gig, and you got, like, B-list c-list stars to, to host so it yeah. makes me think well, of, makes me think the a-listers were like no i'll pass that's the other thing they never actually lean into anybody with hosting ability like i think you'd be chasing down late night hosts maybe to pick it up and run with it like that would work uh, i don't know or maybe like Fallon. somebody fancy from from british television like graham norton could do it like people who actually are qualified hosts and understand how to keep an audience in a stage presence like might give you something but when you hire actors and many of them seem to say no i i, I don't know it doesn't Done, done bode well for the for, for the show. So, I don't know. Uh, our last story this week uh, from the box office. Death on the Nile tops the Super Bowl weekend with a subdued $12.8 million. Uh, that actually, uh, Andy, I'm going to be honest, it's better than I thought it was going to be. And that's only domestic. That's not global. I, I mean, I did think, I, I thought there was a chance that it might lose out to uh, Jackass Forever, which would have been hilarious. That would have been hilarious. Um, but it's still, it's Super Bowl weekend is a really tough time. It's, you know, you kind of counter program a movie to combat the Super Bowl, but it's it's also just kind of a dumping ground. Uh, you just yeah. don't expect to make very much and you can blame it on the Super Bowl. Right. Um, you know, Death on the Nile had an uphill climb. It was angling towards older audiences. I was reading here that uh, 28% of people who bought tickets opening weekend were over the age of 45, which sounds about right. Because that's that's kind of, you're looking at 35 and older audience, I think, for Death on the Nile. It's an Agatha Christie adaptation. Uh, and it's a bit of a bummer, right? We're, we're going to talk about it in just a second. It's our first review of the show, so we'll get to it in just a moment to talk about it more. But considering it's got a relatively star-studded cast, right, and it's been delayed heavily since it was originally supposed to shoot in 2019, um, it's a bit of a bummer. It seems like Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh really likes making these things, really likes appearing as Hercule Poirot, and uh, he may not have another opportunity. But overall, overseas came out to a global start of $34 million, including what it made internationally, which is not too bad. Uh, for a quick comparison, I ran some numbers before the show. Uh, 
Murder on the Orient Express, the previous film to this, uh, premiered in 2017. That cost $50 million to make, and it made $30 million opening weekend, which is not too bad. This may this cost $90 million to make Oof. on the conservative end, maybe a little bit more, uh, and it came out to $34 million total as well. Um, I should say Agatha Christie's was 34 The first, Murder on the Orient Express was $30 million domestic, not international. So it made almost, I think, its whole budget back first weekend. This has made a third of its budget back first weekend. So maybe not super promising, but I think they're likely going to clear 90 million between their theatrical run and then it coming out on streaming services. Like they'll, they'll, they'll get over the hump. They'll, they'll make back what they made, but not, not a promising start for the future of these yeah. films. In- interesting that uh, Jackass Forever was still number two with about eight million at the box office, and <laughs> with number three being Marry Me, the Jennifer Lopez uh, rom com with uh, Owen Wilson. <laughs> There is something so inherently, which also so premiered perfect, on Peacock. Something it's right, that's true. It also came out. Yeah, Marry Me also premiered on Peacock. So for what it's worth, yeah, it did not beat Jackass, but it also had a simultaneous streaming launch. And I'm sure Peacock saw some good numbers from that, uh, at least for whatever good numbers for Peacock are. There's something so inherently funny about any Jackass film beating anything else at the box office. Like it's so stupid, but like I, I love. I love the feeling of low art coming in and just blowing high art completely out of the water uh, in its own jackassy way. Um, anything else you want to talk about on this one, Andy? I, I, I guess we should get, get to the proper review, right? That's going to be yeah. that's going to be the meat I'm, of death on the I'm Nile. I'm ready for it. Well, with that, we should get to it. Andy's agreed to take the summary on this one. Andy, please take it away. Death on the Nile. Ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome the newlyweds, Mr. and Mrs. Simon Doyle. So this is the follow-up to 2017's Murder on the Orient Express, directed by Kenneth Branagh, who also stars as a world-renowned detective, uh, Hercule Poirot. Poirot. this we actually we, we get a little bit of uh, his backstory origin story of his mustache at the beginning of the film uh, uh su- surprising bit of trivia apparently that was never in the agatha christie novels she never never got into his mustache or his scars or his love life so a little bit of that kind of brought up in this movie <laughs> yeah. yeah uh the the main plot itself uh we find ourselves in egypt hercule poirot is on uh vacation on the nile he he very funnily half his friends are there uh he just bumps into them in egypt he's a, he's a like, world-renowned like detective andy of course like they're yeah. gonna be he always runs into people uh so he he bumps in into a number and I, and uh there's a ton of people in this movie so and the and the way these are uh ordered is difficult on on the page but it's true. he 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 uh is on is on vacation uh there are also kind of a who's who uh, of people, um, Gal Gadot is there. She is a newly wed couple to Army Hammer. They are madly in love, yet they are being pursued by the stalker uh, named Lady Jacqueline, played by Emma Mackey. Emma Mackey. They all set they all set sail on this boat uh, for a cruise, along with another cast of characters. There's there's a doctor. There's the musicians. There's the lawyer. There's a lot of people, and I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible. Eventually, there is a murder on on the boat, and uh, Hercule Poirot is is you know sets his mind to task to to discover the the identity of the killer, um, and 
try to solve the mystery of like 10 people on what is relatively a small boat. Uh, and we, we find out a lot about the characters' backstories and possible motivations and like any Agatha Christie mystery, everyone has a motive of one type uh, or another. And uh, that's our setup. Hold on a second. I have to sneeze really bad. Okay, it went away. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Yes, Death on the Nile. Um, so Death on the Nile is, like I said, a movie aimed at older audiences. This is an adaptation of an Agatha Christie novel. It's the second in Kenneth Branagh's, uh, you know, uh, Hercule Poirot series. It seems like he's a big fan. Branagh's a big Shakespeare actor. He's into directing. And his most recent work, uh, Belfast, is nominated for seven Academy Awards. His movie before that is Artemis Fowl on Disney+. Plus. So he's a bit of a... A lopsided director, I think. Uh, and there's a lot that I thought actually was kind of smart in Death on the Nile, but overall, I do feel it misses the mark a little bit. It's it's kind of just okay. I, I think there may be some people who go see it who think it's it's pretty good stuff. Maybe if you're a big Whodunit fan, and I love a good Whodunit, but there's it's just not... It's just lacking. And, and I say this a little ignorantly. I didn't actually see Murder on the Orient Express. Andy, I'm not sure if you did either. Didn't. Um, but there's some clear differences in production here, and there's some clear setbacks uh, that Death in the Nile kind of has to overcome, uh, both in the public eye and on the production side, uh, behind the scenes, that I want to talk about that may contribute to why it just doesn't feel like quite the adventure I was hoping for. So let's get into Death on the Nile. Andy, what'd you think? Oh, gosh. So, um, we haven't, big Andy and I haven't talked about this either before the yeah, show. Yeah, big, big picture. So, there are some good things. I think it, it's well directed and it's uh, well acted. It's got a, it's a who's who cast. It kind of, uh, it, it's huge. Like I said, Army Hammer, Gal Gadot, uh, Emma Mackey. Sorry, everyone's listed terribly <laughs> in the thing. <laughs> Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh, okay, okay. Letitia Wright, so, Sophia Okada. Uh, yeah, like, I'm trying I, to... So I want to talk about this really quick, because I had to pull this up. So uh, in both... In Murder on the... I, I was doing research for the, before the show, and, and in both Murder on the Orient Express and Death in the Nile, in the cast list, the characters are listed basically in order of appearance, not in order of popularity. Um, so you got to go to, like, Wikipedia to get an actual proper quick hit list of of popular characters and actors who are appearing. That's what I'm going to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and murder on the Orient express, uh, had about half the budget that death in the Nile did. And it had a pretty killer opening cast list here. I'll, I'll rattle a couple off. Obviously, Kenneth Branagh's Hercule Poirot, Tom Bateman, Penelope Cruz, Willem Dafoe, Judy Dench, Johnny Depp, Josh Gad, Leslie Odom Jr. Michelle Pfeiffer, Daisy Ridley. That's almost everybody on the train and like almost everybody in there is a name you should either be familiar with or if I showed you a picture, you'd go, oh, yeah, that person like, you would know, almost everybody. Death on the Nile does not have that luxury. Death on the Nile has like five people. You know, about half half the crew. Yeah. Half, and they're not the as cast. popular. Um, they're not as they're not quite as alluring as the previous films cast. And I do think that hurts. It's, you know, that, that hurts turnout. Right. So we, yeah. we have, just a rundown, Tom Bateman, Kenneth Branagh, Annette Benning, Russell Brand, Ali Fazal, Don French, Gal Gadot, Army Hammer, Rose Leslie, Emma Mackey, Sophie Okonedo, Jennifer Saunders, Letitia Wright, and Susanna Fielding are the main actors. Half of these I, people you know, the other half you probably don't. Yes, I know a few of those off the top of my head. Otherwise, I don't, I don't know those people. So... So I, I do think it is well acted and we kind of get into all the characters. They all have a little bit of a backstory that we learn about. Um, the I, I think it really struggles narratively. The murder in question doesn't happen until over an hour into the film. It's like an hour and five minutes, 
which generally I was thinking the murder is probably going to happen by the end of Act One. Um, I couldn't I couldn't really tell where we went from Act One to Act Two or Act Two to Act Three. It's it's really yeah. just. Uh, it's it's just narratively it, it struggles and it's just not that interesting like the 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 mystery of who who done it isn't it's not that surprising and it's not that mysterious and you're and you're not really wondering uh like i said everyone is ma- is made to be out of these like 10 people everyone could has a motive um and you don't and i'm not going to spoil it here you also don't know who the the victim is in in the uh you know, no, from, from like the marketing or anything of it. Uh, so it's just, it's just not super interesting or compelling. Uh, it's, it's definitely leaning on, uh, you know, the, the cast, the setting, uh, you know, I mean, this, this is a novel. I mean, it's set in the, in the 40 or, or late thirties. So, you know, just describing Egypt as like this very, it would, be, it would have been very exotic at the time. The other thing is that all the characters motivation is everything is super old fashioned. It's like the characters motives are like, well, I need mother doesn't approve of my love. And so I need to find uh, a way to become an independent man. And, you know, a, a lots of these super arcane motivations of characters that I think I almost feel like you need to read. If you're going to do this movie, you, you got to update it. Cause it's just, it's so outdated in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like I think the biggest problems come in the writing. Cause, cause you know, like you said, the, the directing's not bad. I think there are like slices of the directing that might be brilliant. There, there are moments, there's a few scenes and a few shots in this film that are really good stuff. That's the stuff that I think made it into Belfast, right? That's the stuff that got, that's got Kenneth Branagh at the Academy Awards this year. But a lot of this movie is just like kind of fluff and doesn't make sense. Andy's right. Like in a good whodunit, your, your three act structure is really simple. Act Act one ends when the first murder happens and it's discovered. Act two is the basically the entire investigation. Act three is the reveal, right? The prestige. Who did it? That's that's the whole game. That's usually how it goes. The death on the Nile doesn't happen until over an hour into the movie. It's only two hours long. So like, <laughs> what is happening in the first half? And it makes it tough to watch because it's got the same damn problem M. Night Shyamalan's old has. Everybody sitting in the theater knows somebody dies on the Nile. We all know that going in. And if it takes an hour for all the characters in the movie to get there, what are we all doing in the audience besides chewing our popcorn and chucking our watches? You gotta get to the goods quicker. And, and I, I, I do think there's some valiant efforts made. Uh, I think that first hour is really spent building out uh, Poirot's character. I, I know I know I'm butchering the pronunciation, but I, I I can't quite do an accent as thick as Kenneth Branagh can, which is dense in this movie. There are lines yeah, he, right. I I had trouble understanding him. I mean, he actually uh, speaks French. I think. Yeah, and, so and that's, I, that's look, why he can do it. I think, and I'll say this at the end too. I think Kenneth Branagh is a better actor than he is a director. It's like Jared Leto, right? I think I think you might be a better musician and/or actor than you are of the other. Just pick a lane and stick with it. And that's where I land with Kenneth Branagh. Like the man can turn out great performances, and he does. There's a couple scenes in 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 Death and Nile where he has a turn of emotion with in a, in a single camera take, and he'll well up tears. He'll get emotional about a memory, maybe, and they're really good stuff. But that first hour is mostly dedicated to building out his character. The film opens with this kind of black flashback uh, to to World War One. It's black and white, and it's like it's the first indication that the CGI is not going to work. 
because you have a, a, a like De-aged. a deep fake young yeah. yeah Kenneth Branagh and his face on I think it's Kenneth Branagh acting the scenes but the the, the CGI'd face on him obviously it's drawn down younger it is like a noticeably different skin tone and flesh color than everybody else looks like a video rich game. black and white scene. yeah it looks terrible and it's the first indication like oh no <laughs> we just started the movie uh, and the so, setting looks okay, but the rest of it doesn't look great. And, and then it, it it doesn't it doesn't get better from there. So the other thing that's the opening scene is this like kind of, it's a World War One thing with with Poirot in the trenches in like 1917. So that's the opening scene, and then we have kind of another opening scene, which is not on the boat. This not in Egypt. This is like at a jazz club in London. Or something, and this is where we kind of set up some of the, the characters and their relationships with other, other peoples. Where we meet uh, Gal Gadot, uh, Lady Lynette. God, there's so many people. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't recall the names. I can, I can um, tell you they're they're kind of roles and right. Are, so but... we meet we meet a handful of characters in this <laughs> um, jazz club, and that sets up something. And then we get to Egypt, and then yeah. we meet even more characters, and it's it's just like I said, it. I, I couldn't tell with the structure of this movie. It's really lacking. And like I said, spends too much time trying to give everyone a backstory. And then like the, the murder doesn't happen till way too late. And then you, you got to solve it in like 40 minutes. So I know a little bit about the writing of this, because believe it or not, um, they actually pared the novel down. There were more characters on the boat and uh, more oh, characters God. on the ferry traveling down the uh, titular Nile. Uh, and they knocked that down a bit and tried to condense some of them because they felt like, hey, it needs to be less complicated which for the most part works like once you actually get into that that second half of the film and you've got an actual murder mystery happening every character kind of falls into their roles everybody's got their own motivations uh Poirot is uh, surprisingly accusatory towards everybody but I think that's kind of his character his he's style got, yeah yeah he's also got some detective I don't know if that's an old 30s thing like you gotta shake the tree and see who falls out right you gotta, you gotta yeah. grab a woman and slap her and tell her she murdered somebody before somebody can <laughs> I don't know what but uh, you know like it, it that part kind of works and, and our cast does kind of fall into where they need to be but I think it's hindered by the setting uh, the fairy is on a giant green screen like it's a big green screen set and, and yeah, the, it, it's never real in the background and it always looks fake. Like every every time I looked out past the windows of the ferry, if you're watching on the live stream, you can kind of see a little bit of the setting as they've got it in the film. Um, it doesn't work. They tried to capture this opulent like Egyptian setting, right? And like when, when you kind of get there in the first half of the movie, the music swings in and for a moment you see the pyramids and the sphinx and you're like, yeah, all right, we're in Egypt. And then you realize it works. It looks like noticeably worse than 1999's The Mummy starring Brendan Fraser. And if your movie looks worse than 1999's The Mummy starring Brendan Fraser, we have problems. That's a low bar. Like that shouldn't be a high watermark. And like somehow it doesn't come through. Like they, they, they spent too much money on CGI and I, I just think they missed it. Well, yeah, that's the other thing is this. I mean, you can't really film in Egypt these days because it just doesn't like the pyramids don't look great with what's around it because there's yeah. a lot of city. And so you can't really film this the, the way. And so like the entire landscapes are again, all CGI pyramids, CGI sinks, CGI. Like they obviously are, were nowhere near Egypt and, and that. Yeah. That just really looks bad. There's a bunch of underwater stuff. That's also all CGI. And then the boat, it's the, the I mean the set itself looks, looks fine, but also the boat's super small. Like if it were a giant, Oh, again, ocean liner, with hundreds of people, but there, there's literally like 15 people on this boat. And I'm like, it, it couldn't, it can't be that hard to f- account for everyone. 
Yeah, and you don't get a good sense of visual direction, which is, I think, important in a good whodunit, right? You need to understand the setting pretty well. And, like, the boat has a bunch of rooms on it. You never really get to see everything, and they're kind of walking up and down sides of it, popping in here, and somebody else is in here, and it's like... That stuff's important in a good mystery. Like you want your audience to feel like they've got a pretty good grounded feeling of setting so they can better understand the clues as presented to them and maybe parse out who 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 done it, right? That stuff's important. But yeah, the ferry just doesn't really work. I, I didn't see Murder on the Orient Express, but I have a feeling the train was probably a bit tighter and I think probably created like car settings up and down the train where you could in, yeah. have in, individual interactions with characters. Um, the ferry doesn't quite pull it together um but the cast i think does a decent job and, that, and that's that's worth talking about I, I do want to talk about the half of the cast who's been <laughs> slandered i don't know the does not have good well, pr which also does not right. contribute to this well, well real quick before we move on to that i wanted to mention that i i thought about knives out uh, quite a bit because it's it's a oh, modern it's a modern whodunit um, yes. And it's done so well. And it's so funny because that movie is really looking back on things like De- uh, Death on the Nile and Murder on the Orient Express for inspiration. And then it's kind of a modern uh, masterpiece of whodunit and how much it's it's done so much better. But also one of the interesting things about Knives Out is that the, the whodunit isn't the focus of the movie. It's really Ryan Johnson is using this murder mystery to talk about thing issues of like class and race and the like socioeconomic, like social issues through yeah. this, like death on the Nile. Is it about anything but the mystery? Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that, that they should have, should have maybe modernized it or approached it. Cause there are things in here that are modern. We have diverse cast uh, and skin color is never really, What's the best way to say this? It's never directly addressed. Nobody's ever like, well, I don't want her on the boat because she looks different than I do, which mm-hmm. arguably in the 30s, that might have been a problem. Like that may have been something that that sparse characters may have had an issue with, but everybody on the ferry plays nice and that's good. Um, but that does lead to this weird kind of, you know, kind of fantasy history. Like, and I'm not, I'm not saying you need that in your movie, but between like bad CGI sunsets in the background (laughs) and a script that just feels a little flagrant, like it doesn't really pull you in. I just kind of felt like I was waiting to find out where, where it was going next. And I wasn't, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't feel like I was drawn into anything with any real weight or measure. Just it's like a, it's like a fluff piece. Right. So we wanted to move on to performances and, (laughs) Uh, so Gal Gadot is the, uh, kind of leading lady. Uh, she's, uh, lady Lynette Ridgeway. She she's featured heavily on the front of the poster. If you're watching us on yeah, Facebook or YouTube, she's you see it. Yeah. very wealthy, very, and very newly engaged or married to army hammer who was engaged to lady, uh, Jacqueline, um, who is stalk weirdly stalking them and has been stalking them like literally around the world. It's a little strange, which, yeah. which doesn't seem realistic but but go on no uh yeah lady jacqueline played by emma mackey uh you also have i'd say other noteworthy performances will include letitia wright uh what's her name from game of thrones what is rose Rose leslie i forgot she was in this film until she kind of pops up and she does not have a particularly large part but but she is here um and also russell brand is worth mentioning as a doctor tom bateman's all right but 
Um, the problem with this cast is many of them uh, currently are not sitting particularly well in the public purview, which will hurt sales. It's part of the reason this movie got pushed back, actually. Specifically, this movie was supposed to come out in late 2021, and, and literally, as listed on IMDb and Wikipedia, I checked today, uh, the reason it was pushed back from 2021 to 2022 is because Army Hammer is a cannibal. Um, <laughs> Army Hammer. Allegedly. Who is our lead, uh, our basically second male lead, behind, closely behind Hercule Poirot. Uh, yeah, I thought he was allegedly a cannibal too because some messages had come out from like a former ex who who was like he was like God, I want to eat your skin, which was weird. But apparently, <laughs> like multiple women have corroborating reports and images and and regarding issues of abuse or, around this man that have come together since. So like, I say Army Hammer's a cannibal because like apparently multiple people in his life have confirmed that his actual factual wants to wants to eat people. So that's an issue. Uh, meanwhile, Letitia Wright and Russell Brand are 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 arguably anti anti vaxxers, which can lead to political reasons that people aren't going to see your movie. Uh, Gal Gadot is the reason this movie isn't coming out in a number of uh, foreign markets because she was a member of the uh, Israel. She was in the army. Military? Yeah. yeah. So by default, a lot of places like Palestine are not going to be running Death on the Nile. Um, I guess it's got some issues uh, on the PR side of things, and for performances, they're okay. Honestly, the, the only the only one I really think is worth talking about is uniquely uh, Andy. I don't know if you share this view, Lady Jacqueline, Emma Mackey. Uh, I, th- I thought you were going to say someone else, but keep going. You, you probably thought I was going to say Hercule Poirot. Who, no, I was uh, Russell Brand. I didn't even oh. realize Ru- Russell Brand oh. p- plays the doctor. I didn't realize that's that it was Russell Brand until uh, like halfway through the movie. It's a subdued performance. I, I'll give you that. It's definitely not Russell Brand playing Russell Brand, and that and I appreciated that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Emma Mackey. Go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say Russell Brand. It, like you know him a lot just by his look. He usually has a really long, like curly hair, and he's just like very intense. And he's like the main thing when he's on screen. And this, he's a very reserved role, and he's like very clean cut. Like I said, I didn't even recognize him at first. Yeah. Until until pretty late in into the film, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's, he's actually acting!" And that it says a lot. Yeah, himself. it says a lot if you can slip into a role and other people, you know, kind of lose your identity in there. Uh, you're right that that's worth mentioning. No, I, for me, M. Mackie stole the scene. I, I've never seen her in anything. I looked her up. She was in Netflix's Sex Education as a completely different character. She plays this, you know, she she plays this kind of twisted up woman who is just obs- basically a stalker who is obsessed. Uh, with Army Hammer's character and 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 cannot let it go, just following them around the world. He she gets a couple scenes with Kenneth Branagh where he tries to really plead with her and be like, "Hey, you need to stop go this. Home. You come to your yeah. sense, yeah." And she gets teary eyed and she's kind of nuts, but it feels like there's a genuine emotion. I was like, "Who is this wonderful woman? She's stealing scenes." So I, I liked her in this movie, but Russell Brand is definitely worth mentioning. You're right; I didn't think of it that way. He is he is very much not himself. Um, not on brand for him. Right. Gal Gadot has been catching some heat on the internet uh, for her <laughs> delivery, uh, namely of, of, of a, a meme-worthy scene uh, where she exclaims that we have enough champagne to fill the Nile. Um, oh, yeah, that's she, so crazy. Look, look, we've talked about Gal Gadot on this show before, all right? Like, I think Gal Gadot's fine. I, I do not expect her to be winning Academy Awards, all right? She is great at what she does. She fits the role fine. I got no issues with Gal Gadot in this movie. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, a lot of the writing isn't great uh, mm. in in general. Her, her, yeah, she does have some kind of, but she's also supposed to be like 
the the weird leader you know she's leading the expedition down down the nile is what well. like again this whole thing this whole thing is just it's so outdated like it's it's just so like it, i don't know when the novel came out probably in the, in the 40s 30s 40s, 30s. whatever yeah i couldn't even tell yeah me. i i mean it's just it's super arc- arcane i i think if you're going to do this you got to update it you, like do you can do the whole whole thing well then you actually you can actually maybe make it a lot more interesting like change a lot of story but you know you put it on a cruise liner or something and you get the cast with that that doesn't have yeah. 19th century motivations of like mother does too cruise control That's yeah mother <laughs> mother doesn't approve of of my fiance yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- which reminds me, there's a, there, yeah. there's this whole B plot uh, in- involving Annette Benning and her son uh, Book, played by Tom Bateman. Uh, and th- this is part of the the B plot is she doesn't approve of of the woman that he wants to marry, and so he's trying to find a way to uh, become independent because he's a kept man right now. And it's just I was like, this right. is so old and outdated. Like, what are what are we even talking about here? Like, no one can relate to this. Right? Well, it was funny. It was funny because, like, early in the film, uh, in that in that kind of London nightclub scene where where, where Poirot is first introduced to a handful of our characters, uh, they're dancing and they're having fun and partying. And Poirot's like sitting over a table by himself. He's got seven desserts and he's trying to get rid of one because he's got OCD. Uh, and and he's like, no, 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 six is fine for me. And he's just this old man sitting alone, observing everybody. And, like, you get these wonderful shots, honestly, too much, of Army Hammer and Emma Mackey dancing, and then Gal Gadot comes in, they have this whole thing, and he's, like, sitting on the wall being a wallflower, just observing, right? He's he's world-famous detective. But I realized pretty quickly, like, right in that opening scene, oh, all the young people in here are, like, sheep, and Hercule Poirot, the old man in the back, is our hero? Oh, no. (laughs) Why do I I care the old guy's sitting down is somehow the hero of this story. It's and it's because this is aimed at older audiences. Like this is this is for older folks who are, who are going to see a refined piece of cinema or what they think might be a refined piece of cinema. Uh, you know, and they, they want an older older protagonist, and that's okay. But um, it it does feel like he often is just so far elevated above everybody else in the movie. He literally walks around talking about he's a world famous detective. Yeah, he's like he too makes clever jokes for his own about good. it. Yes, like he's he's too pompous in a way that makes him to me unlikable. He is charming, uh, but just overblown. Um, and I I think that's just the character. I think that's that's Hercule Poirot. So I I mean I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to mention Army Hammer is oh he he's fine. Uh, it's just so weird. Like it's it's weird how much he is in this movie. Like he's I mean, he's one of the leads. And then just how absent he has been from marketing and all that. Yeah. Since um, the uh, the the cannibal scandal has come. Yeah. Out. If anybody else wants to go see uh, his his last ever film, Death on the Nile, is is aptly <laughs> named and is for you. Um, Andy, other thoughts for recommendations? I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Death on the Nile? Save it for streaming. If you're a big Agatha Christie fan, if you're a fan of who who done it. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it, it might might be for you, but sk- skip the theaters. I mean, I saw it for six twenty five uh, at the early bird special, and I would still say just save it for streaming uh, if you're interested. It's got some some good parts. Like I said, it's got a really fabulous cast. I do think it's well directed. The ship set looks pretty pretty good. Like that was probably super expensive, uh, but then a lot of things don't work. Uh, 
ton of CGI for all, basically all the outdoor shots, all the landscape stuff. It yeah. looks like a video game. And just the the narrative itself just isn't super interesting or, or compelling. You know, I was thinking about Knives Out, and there's really, there's a lot of people in Knives Out, but there's only a couple of uh, suspects, you, you know, because a lot of people are just happen to be there when it, when it happens uh, in, in the house, but there's only a few suspects. So it's a, it's a lot simpler mystery in a lot of ways. It also just gets going. Like the movie opens with people being interviewed and the murder has already happened and you don't yeah. like get it till the, the flashback. So, right. <laughs> um, it, yeah, there's some things that work about death on the Nile. It's got a lot of problems to save it for streaming. I'm in the same boat. Save it for streaming. Do not spend money on this movie. Do not go to speed in theaters. Andy paid six twenty five. I went and saw it opening night, prime time, and I paid no less than seventeen dollars to see oh, Murder the on the Orient Express. So do not go out of your way. Yeah, like just just wait till it comes to streaming. I think it will. It's it's criminal. Murder on the Orient Express, of course, is not on any streaming service right now, which is part of the reason I didn't watch it in front of this because I didn't want to pay more money for this. Um, they so should have sold it to a streaming service. Yes, this should have been straight to streaming. Honestly, if it had gone straight to streaming, I, I think it could have had legs that could have made a third one, and they still might, but like I, this might be curtains on Kenneth Branagh's Hercule Poirot uh, uh, aspirations. He's, I I don't know if a third one's coming after this. He's also, I mean, he he's fun, but he's he's not like Benoit Blanc. <laughs> Uh, which is uh, uniquely no, yeah. Daniel he, he, Daniel Craig's character uh, from not. Knives Knives Out. He's he's not a super, you know. And and this isn't, you know, the kind of eccentric detective is is a well worn trope, and he's just he's not. We we have so much more modern, more in in intriguing, exciting, interesting versions of that. Yeah, it 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 lands in this weird spot where your 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 hero also has plot armor and is innumerable and also knows it and talks about how famous they are and and the cast is okay and the CGI looks bad just just Death on the Nile is okay. It is an okay murder mystery. Yeah, if you if you if you're a whodunit fan and you haven't seen it, I would recommend Knives Out hand over fist over this movie. Like I really would. Um, and, and from what I've heard from people who saw Murder on the Orient Express, same thing. I heard that movie wasn't bad, so I'm gonna have to go catch it later. But with that, we should move on to our next segment. We're doing something new I, on the show. We've talked about trailers before, but never this many trailers. Andy, I'm excited. Go ahead. Sorry, I, I do want to interrupt. I have a, a quick question. So we just passed oh, yeah. uh, Val- Valentine's Day. Oh, uh, yeah. And so, uh, so this question was going around uh, yesterday, but what is your favorite romance movie slash movie about love or rom-com? Something you don't have to answer right now. You can uh, t- take a minute. We can come back to it. My choice was Blue Valentine because I love a, love a good tragedy. <laughs> good God. Yeah, Blue Valentine, huh? Jesus. Um, I don't know. I would think about it. It's probably going to be something cheesy. My mom loves a bunch of old rom-coms, so it'll be something out of those. It'll be like Love Actually or uh, I guess It's a Wonderful Life doesn't really count. It's more of a story about self-fulfillment than it is about love. Uh, so I don't we'll know. I'll think about it. Yeah, yeah think yeah, about yeah. it. We'll, we'll yeah, circle yeah, back good, at the good, end of good, the show. Yeah, let me, let me simmer on that for a minute. In the meantime, we have no less than, drumroll please, Eight movie trailers to talk about Oof. today. Way too many for one episode, uh, which is part of the reason our Drive My Car review will be a little short on the end, but I'm excited to get to it. With that being said, Andy, eight trailers. How do you, I, I figure we should alternate. You do one, then I'll do one, then you do one, then I'll do one. Uh, do you want to start? Or, or first, I guess we should just introduce well, the segment proper. That's important. I got, I got a true. sound cue for it. Go for it. It's time for the trailer park.
All right. So I'm going to actually take these first two uh, because the the first one is actually most of what we've already seen. So we got a a full trailer of Lightyear, uh, which is going to be the Buzz Lightyear kind of origin story movie coming from Pixar in the summer. A lot of the same kind of footage that we saw in the teaser we get a little bit more plot uh it looks like the space colony or whatever is stuck on the planet they're on and they're trying to escape and buzz lightyear is the one person who who is going to escape and get help uh it looks really cool i'm really excited about that that looks like a lot of fun do you have any thoughts on that uh, Lightyear looks okay. I, I think the new trailer looks better than I thought the teaser trailer did. Uh, they're really stretching that David Bowie Starman license they're using. They, oh my God. Yeah. I feel like it's going to be in the movie. Love that. Um, love yeah. That which I mean, honestly kind of fits like it, it looks like it's got a good tone and surprisingly we're actually get a bit of Chris Evans talking his buzz in this one. It works because Chris Evans is acting Buzz Lightyear. He's not just being Chris Evans. He's actually trying to emulate a bit of the voice he and it kind of fits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't mind. It. Although I do think the, the the robot cat thing looks lame. That looks like the easiest movie Agreed. cash in for toys I've ever it's seen BBA. in my life. Yeah, it doesn't even it doesn't even articulate like BBA. At least BBA has to roll. At least that's complicated. The cat thing is like a toy from the nineties. I I, I I I don't know. Merchandising seems cheap, but it's Pixar. Yeah. Uh, next on our list is a film called Men, uh, which was a uh, new A twenty four horror psychological thriller uh what makes me excited about this is that it's by director alex garland who made annihilation and ex machina before that two phenomenal sci-fi films haven't seen anything from him from a long time it stars jesse buckley uh who goes on after the death of her husband she goes on a vacation to the english countryside this trailer was super creepy like I don't really know what's going on. She's wandering around like the English countryside by herself. There's shadows. There's like specters or things she sees or doesn't see. It looks really creepy. And I'm super excited. Love Alex Garland. What yeah, I, I'm I'm in the same boat. Alex Garland formerly directed Ex Machina and uh, uh, Annihilation. Uh, after those two movies, I'll go see anything that guy makes. And this trailer looks just curious enough and just has enough tone that I'm like, yep. I don't know what's happening. Also, for the love of God, Jesse Buckley needs more mainstream work. Like, I love that she's doing indie stuff. Um, she's too good to be trapped in like weird, obscure <laughs> sci-fi Charlie Kaufman-esque features. But she's um, almost she's, too she's good for mainstream. mainstream like, I, I don't. Want, yeah, I don't want her to get lost in a Marvel movie. Do you know she she got her rise to fame by winning like basically American Idol in. No, like they no. had some kind of basically televised talent contest and she entered as like a singer songwriter and won. And that's how she got a television role. And she's like incredible. Um, small world. Jesse Buckley needs more work. Yeah. Men looks great. Uh, I will tell you about Firestarter, uh, the new Stephen King adaptation coming to, I think Hulu and theaters. Is it Hulu? Peacock. Peacock and theaters, same day release. Uh, this is a movie, not a series, starring Zac Efron and a young girl as the titular Firestarter. Uh, it's based on a Stephen King novel, and uh, I think it's a adaptation or remake of the uh, Drew Barrymore film from 1984. Uh, a young couple has a young girl uh, who is able to start fires with their mind, basically, and they have to uh, get along in the world and teach her to kind of keep that under control before you know trouble boils over so i think i've never actually seen the original i've never read the stephen king novel but i mean it seems like I, a great idea I had right? a, friend a girl who, that starts fires hell yeah sign me up 
I had a friend who who started it and said it's just it's super the old one is just super slow. Uh, the other thing this reminds me a lot of ET, but then I actually looked it up and Firestarter came out before ET, so it's maybe the the other way around. It looks all right. Uh, Zac Efron plays her her father, and it's his typical you know young girl with uh, supernatural abilities. Government wants to capture her experiment like see what she can do and she gets angry and she starts she hulks out basically on and starts starts fires i can't tell which like it could either be really good or just like a mess and cheesy and like honestly i thought it was maybe a limited series and i felt like i had more confidence in it finding out it's just a movie i'm like ooh, okay i don't know that might be messy but uh shout out to all the millennials like me on twitter who saw zach efron rise from uh, aspiring high school teenager in a disney movie to now a father <laughs> <laughs> he's caught up with the rest of us great you know we're all we're all we're all getting older so if i started looks all right uh, additionally there's jurassic world dominion the new jurassic world feature from colin trevorrow the final reportedly in this kind of trilogy he's doing uh features a whole lot of dinosaurs appearing to run all over the world they got dinosaurs in snow dinosaurs in the middle east dinosaurs in las vegas there's dinosaurs everywhere and chris pratt and the original cast of uh, the Steven Spielberg Jurassic Park are returning to deal with them. Uh, quite the nostalgia cash in, huh? I mean, that's that's some real cultural capital they've got. Yeah, it doesn't get bigger than yeah. Bring back it's uh, Jurassic Force Awakens is what's happening. Yeah, um, we'll we'll see how it works. I'm sure it'll make a billion dollars. The Jurassic Park franchises are all huge money makers even if like uh, the last one was really kind of bad and cheesy and it's still a still billion dollar movie uh i doubt this is the last one they'll make they'll they'll take a hiatus they'll let like three or four years go by and then they'll do like Jurassic park origins or something right um yeah, you know, there'll be a limited ne- Nedry origins <laughs> yeah, uh right. s- something like that uh next on our list is uh kind of a dc film preview this was a trailer that featured four movies basically and that uh, a lot of footage we hadn't seen what did this so, what did this trailer come out for just like dc in 2022 or was it for hbo because yeah i remember they I, dumped this and there was a bunch of new footage in it i think it, it probably came out with the super bowl at some point mm. um that but, makes but, sense yeah. right so the four movies are we get some footage from the batman from black adam which comes out in the summer the Flash, which comes out in November, and Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, the second in that series, which comes out at Christmas. Uh, so some of the new things we saw, we got to see The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, as Black Adam in costume, which we briefly. haven't seen. Yeah, yes. briefly. We haven't seen that at all. I've been waiting this for this for since 2014. That's when they first announced it. And they, they thought that maybe by 2019 they would have had the movie done. Yeah, and Black Adam, was supposed, he was supposed to be the villain in Shazam. And they ended up pulling him out because they thought it'd be a bigger feature if they made him his own thing. So he was supposed to be on screen a few years ago. Yeah, so he, he's in that the, the Shazam verse. He's going to have some of that same uh, mystic mystical power. It looks like he's a good guy who eventually goes bad because he does become a villain. That looks super cool. We get a little bit of the Flash. Uh, we we get to see kind of this, which we saw in the still before of multiple flashes in the frame, along with Supergirl. Um, so also, some exciting new new characters. We saw Hawkman, who apparently is going to be in these things. It looks pretty awesome. Pierce Brosnan as Doctor Fate, who's uh, he's kind. Doctor Fate is kind of like the Doctor Strange of the. Uh, of DC. Yeah, mystical, magical. I think Hawkman's played by Aldous Hodge. And reportedly you hear Michael Keaton doing Batman in, in the trailer, but I don't right. I don't recall that, but that's what I heard. And then we see uh you know, Jason Momoa underwater, uh Aquaman 
sequel to that. That again, I have to remind everyone, Aquaman is DC's biggest franchise, over a billion dollars, most profitable. Talk about still haven't the bag. seen the first one. I need, I need to go watch it. Uh, uh, yeah, and the first one's not bad. And, and part of the reason that movie succeeds, there's so much CGI. Like there's there's these massive underwater battles, and there's like giant crab things, and it's just like. It, it's the kind of thing that works really well internationally because you don't have to, you know, understand anything to to get the action. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes. So that was, uh, I was pretty excited about that. It's definitely exciting to see Black Adam footage. I really want to know more about that Flash movie. Like, uh, you know, Black Adam looks cool, like, but this Flash multiverse thing is really juicy. I mean, they're talking about, it's basically trying to capture that Marvel energy, right? Pulling a character from the CW show, bringing in new characters we haven't seen before, like okay like something we got some juice here like something's going on and, and that's that's exciting but uh i do want to talk about another trailer uh, that premiered during the super bowl it's a big part of why the why we've got so many damn trailers to talk about the super bowl happened that 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 and did you watch super bowl too I, no. I didn't no not at all can't, uh can't stream, if i can't stream it i can't watch it we've got the trailer for jordan peele's new film nope uh, nope has been on ice for a little while and people have been very quiet about what that movie's supposed to be. There was an early teaser poster that came out a while back of kind of a some kind of mysterious dark storm cloud hovering over a large field and or surrounded by some mountains with like a weird ribbon or something coming out of it. And now we have more of an idea of what that is. Uh, nope is the story of what appears to be two young up and coming black uh, horse owners, ranch owners, uh, who are the, uh, the, the, the up and comer, what's the word I'm looking for here? Harold, they, they own the first American black horse movie cinema horses. Yes. Owned, owned that, by it's, it's the clumsiest God. I should have written something down before I started this. Yes. Uh, and they discover one night that there's some kind of force or something out beyond the mountains, just, just, just out of reach that is, appears to be drawing horses towards it or, or has some kind of magnetism or energy that is pulling things in and they are uh, forced to deal with that. Big get out and up uh, us vibes. Up, oh, Jesus. Big get out and us vibes. Um, really mysterious. Looks exciting. I mean, surrealist horror from Jordan Peele, right? Yeah, I, I really like this trailer because it had it had the fear in it. Like it, it wasn't like a, Oh no, aliens are coming. Uh, they might kill us. It was like, yes, the characters on screen are terrified of whatever's happened. We don't, we get a, like a hint of a glimpse at one of the aliens or what might be an alien. Um, but it, it looks properly scary. I mean, like the, you, people are like running, like terrified for their lives on, in these things. Uh, yeah. and it's, it, it has a different vibe of like, Oh, this looks like it could be really scary. So, yeah, Looking forward to a full trailer on that, and that'll be this summer. Yes. And then next, we also had an, another, probably the biggest trailer, was uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, uh, which comes out in May. And we got to see a little bit more of what the madness is, sort of. We saw Doctor Strange talking with uh, Wanda. Uh, what's her What's her real name? <laughs> what's her? Romanoff? Scarlet Witch. Sco- yeah, Scarlet, Scarlet Witch. Witch, yeah. Scarlet Witch, um, lots of you know crazy time bending, world bending things from the future, and you know this thread of like we don't know who's come through. Uh, we see like multiple versions of like evil Doctor Strange, and then possibly, and this was very exciting, the introduction of the X Men. 
oh, man. Marvel, which I totally missed. Apparently, like I'm an idiot. Uh, yeah. But apparently, we hear the voice of of Patrick Stewart in a very Professor Xavier way. So this could be Marvel and Disney slowly reintroducing X Men into uh, the MCU. That's right. Now you get why I was so hyped. I was I was like, something's happening in this trailer. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm very excited about this movie and, and a big part of the reason is because of Marvel's like incredible marketing clout. Um, we haven't talked about it on the show, but I feel like the movie's been out a few weeks. It's probably fine to say, uh, in the, in the pre, in the last Spider-Man movie, uh, Marvel managed to get two incredible actors, uh, back on screen as their original characters, Spider-Man, uh, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are both in the, the film and, uh, they're great in it and they never once put them in marketing ever. It was entirely viral marketing and word of mouth that got people in theaters to see that stuff. And what that means is Marvel has now crossed this weird threshold where what they don't show you may entice you to come to the theater more than what you actually see. Yeah, that's great. I got Wanda from WandaVision and that the, the Disney plus show in there. And that's great. I got Benedict Cumberbatch, Dr. Strange neat, but like who isn't there? The who, who aren't I seeing that's going to impress me and blow me away. And Marvel right now has the rights to 20th century Fox's X-Men after Disney acquired 20th century Fox. They also have the rights to the fantastic four. People are rumoring. We may have a Reed Richards appearance, that's a big deal. Like I, I, we may have professor X showing up suddenly. Like I have no idea what's coming in the next Marvel movie. And I'm crazy excited for it because if it can have even a fraction of the energy that Spider-Man no way home had, then, then anything could happen. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. I'm very excited about this. We've been wondering, and we've said this on the show is when are they going to introduce X-Men because they, in the 20th century Fox merger, they got that property and that is a hugely hot property. The films have been lackluster in the last few years, but still done right done in, in the Marvel method. Uh, it could be incredible. And not only that, you, you have to recast all these kind of classic characters. You need a new Wolverine, a new storm beast Magneto. Like that would be exciting when they start down that road. So this could be the beginning of that. Yeah, so we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but you know, Doctor Strange is multiverse, and also Sam Raimi directing. I mean, come on, it's gonna it's gonna be a delight. Uh, one more trailer to talk about before we get to drive my car. I promise we're almost there. If you're, if you're just tuning in for the drive my car review, we're getting to it. It's good stuff. Uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers was announced today from Disney Plus, uh, coming exclusively to Disney Plus. Uh, this kind of reboot of the old cartoon '90s cartoon series Chippendale Rescue Rangers, based on Chippendale, the two chipmunks, uh, Disney characters. Uh, has been around for a little while. Uh, we knew Andy Samberg was involved, and apparently his uh, kind of pop-up comedy hip-hop band, The Lonely Island, is also involved somehow. I don't think they're necessarily writing. I know they're producing. I don't know how exactly they're tied into it, but 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 Andy Samberg and John Mulaney, a comedian, are appearing as the Chippendale characters in, in a trailer that is interestingly... Uh, a hybrid of live action and cartoon similar to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Who, who, In fact, Roger Rabbit from Who Framed Roger Rabbit appears in the first few frames of the trailer. Uh, Chip and Dale are now in this weird BoJack Horseman kind of universe where they are cartoon characters in a live world. I mean, just, just like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, also BoJack Horseman, this weird kind of surreal attempt at, at, at uh, realizing these characters in, in, a, in a physical space. 
And even though they're both animated, like uh, they they both have are washed up. They haven't done anything in thirty years. <laughs> and now, some kind of something happens to bring them both together uh, and trigger a new exciting adventure in the world of the real uh, outside of their cartoon counterparts. Uh, they will be running into cartoon characters, engaging with them, maybe riffing on Disney's library and who they've got. In a weird way, this movie likes looks like one part Warner Brothers Space Jam: A New Legacy, one part Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Just, just, a, just a shred of BoJack Horseman, and that you've got these two washed-up children's characters who are now, you know, not not really doing anything anymore. Uh, and also, you know, maybe they maybe they have a drug addiction. Yeah, Reek was see right. Well, one of them is addicted to, to surgery because he explains that he got the CGI surgery so he can oh, stay uplifted with the times. Uh, yeah, like it, it's this weird blend into this Reek, like kind of. Kind of you know, sequel remake thing that they're doing. I mean, Disney is not even changing the name. It's literally called Chippendale Rescue Range, which was the name of the show. Um, but it's unique, and it's it's just interesting enough that I'm like, hold on a second. I haven't seen this before. I haven't I haven't seen anybody swing into the uncanny valley and try to make our cartoon characters exist in real life. I mean, I guess Tom and Jerry tried to do that, but like total swing and a miss, right? So this is something different, and that's exciting. Andy, have you even watched this trailer? I don't even know if you've seen it. No, I haven't. I need to, especially now that's that you've okay. described it. I used to watch this show. I remember watching the show. Yeah, they're doing something weird in Chippendale Rescue Rangers, and uh, having seen a lot of these movies, I'm, I, I'm mildly intrigued. And I've told that to people this morning, and they were like, what the hell are you talking about? That movie looks terrible. And I'm like, well, like, look, you know? If it's going to be bad, I'd rather you take a stab at doing something drastically different and be bad than do the same thing as everybody else is doing and be bad, like The Matrix. So, uh, except The Matrix is kind of good. Um, so, I don't know. Chippendale Rescue Rangers. And that's that's it for trailers. Andy hasn't seen it, so I'm going to have to get him to watch it and find out more. Uh, in the meantime, we've got one more review to get to. I actually went and saw this. I'm excited to talk about it. Andy, uh, any other thoughts on trailers? Anything upcoming? I mean, what do you, what do you, what do you think? Um, I mean, it looks like a good year for, uh, for movies, especially the, the summer, uh, you know, starting in April. I mean, even with the Batman in March, but in late April and into May, middle of the year, uh, yeah, it's going to be exciting. we got a lot of stuff coming out. Yeah, we do have a lot of stuff coming out. So with that, we should jump into our final review of the episode. It's going to be a short one because only one of us has seen it. So I'm going to keep it, keep it light. Uh, the movie is drive my car. So, Drive My Car is Japan's entry into the Academy Awards this year. Uh, it's a movie that was not on my radar. I had heard a little bit about it from film Twitter. Um, just kind of whisperings. I hadn't really seen a trailer or anything. The first time I actually got a good look at it was when Andy and I went and saw Nightmare Alley uh, in black and white at the Texas Theater here in town. They ran a trailer in front of it, and I thought, oh, wow. This movie looks different. Uh, the movie featured, trailer featured a lot of these big wide shots japan real wide angle lenses uh and and featuring this little red saab 900 driving down the road um little nissan uh and and these two people in it there's this young woman driving the car and this kind of older guy sitting in the back and there's a few other scenes of action and, and maybe some drama but some kind of heartwarming music and i thought okay this looks interesting this this looks like something so um to to wrap up this brief brief by a lot biographical bit as to why I was watching this movie. I convinced my wonderful wife to go see it with me uh, over, over the holiday. And, and that's when we discovered it is three hours long, two oh, hours, gosh. 59 minutes, which is going to be a big part of this review. 
But we went, we bought our tickets, we went to the Texas Theater, and we were shocked to find it was almost sold out. Like, almost standing room only. It, like, it was hard to find seats. Uh, and we got some decent seats. Uh, Andy and I can talk later about filling up that second the second theater in, in the Texas theater. I know what that's like now, seeing a movie with mm-hmm, a bunch of people mm-hmm. in there. But regardless, Drive My Car uh, is the story of, uh, and I'm going to get the Again, pronunciation is wrong. I'm going to take a stab at it, though. Uh, Yusuke Kafuku, a renowned stage actor and director uh, whose wife has recently passed away, wife of 20 years. Uh, and after a couple of years of kind of coping with that, uh, he agrees to take a residence as a stage director uh, for a play his wife helped him create uh, and write uh, in, in Hiroshima. And, and once he arrives there, uh, he discovers he's not allowed to drive his car and he's assigned a driver, which is this young woman, uh, named Masaki Watari. Masaki Watari. That's that's a better way to pronounce it. Watari and Watari. Um, and the two of them start to kind of connect as these kind of uh, hidden aspects of his life start to kind of come forward. It's like driving um, it Miss is, Daisy. It's a little like driving Miss Daisy or <laughs> Green Book, right? Any any a little bit like a road trip movie. And, and a lot of a lot of Drive My Car is driving scenes. It, it really does stick around on those long wide. Beautiful landscape shots of Japan. They, my God, Japan looks amazing in this movie. Um, Drive My Car is beautifully shot. And, and, and the, the visuals were the first thing that really pulled me in, right? Because obviously it's a foreign language film. So the plot was a little fuzzy going in, but I knew it was really pretty. And, and Drive My Car has this wonderful sense of place. I, I think that the setting of Drive My Car seems so exciting because you get these wonderful sunsets and beautiful sunrises and, and just kind of... A slice of the world we don't see, you know, it's, it's, it's like America, it's similar, but it's also drastically different. And, and they manage to really draw you in with unique visuals. Uh, our plot is obviously more complicated than I've, I've kind of revealed at the beginning. Uh, and, and it's an interesting journey into exploring grief really uh, is what it is and, and kind of how we as humans have to, you know, cope with that and deal with it and, and, and continue to not just live our lives, but literally play a role in uh, our lives as we've shaped them. That's a big part of, of, of the movie. Uh, our lead is a playwright. He, he's, he's an actor and now a stage director and he, he's casting a group of young and old individuals to be in this play that his health, that his wife helped him develop. So it's very near and dear to him. Uh, he used to play the lead in the play, uh, and it's wonderful because Drive My Car manages to say a lot about language. Similar to how how Bong Joon-ho did with Parasite when it won at the Academy Awards. And he said, you know, you shouldn't be afraid of foreign films like because all you have to do is read subtitles. That's it. And once you get over reading subtitles, like you can really embrace anything. Drive My Car goes further. Uh, in the world of Drive My Car, plays are multinational, and all of the plays in Drive My Car have a giant screen behind them. They're stage plays, just like any other stage play, right? Just like Shakespeare. Um, but all the plays have a giant screen behind them with subtitles put on screen in multiple different languages. And because you can read what's happening in the plays in Japanese, Chinese, Mandarin, English, and I think Korean in some scenes, uh, the cast in the plays can speak any language. And suddenly Drive My Car takes a turn because not only is it this interesting story about a man who's struggling to cope with the death of his wife and coming to understand who she was in in, in the parts that he didn't understand, he didn't know about her, um, 
it also casts a play full of characters who don't speak the same language and have to communicate to each other through physical action. Uh, you get a wonderful scene where they're auditioning people and two people come in and one speaks, one is one is originally Mandarin, but speaks almost damn near perfect English, which is weird because it's the first time the movie drops the subtitles out from under you and suddenly you're looking at characters speaking English on screen. Meanwhile, the actor she's playing against is Japanese and literally says, I don't know what she's saying, but I know the script. So do you just want me to respond to her blind or how do I do that? And suddenly you have characters like engaging with each other in such a human way where language doesn't matter. What they're saying to each other, we can read through subtitles or understand by them speaking in English. But like the emotion of of the call and response of engaging with people like is suddenly what comes to the forefront. This all comes to a head with the casting of a young, young wonderful young woman. I want to make sure I get her name right. Her name is... Uh, Park Yu Rim. Uh, she, this is her only acting credit. She is. She speaks in Korean Sign Language. Uh, oh wow! All physical. She she's she's she she can hear language as said in the film. She can hear, but she can't speak. She's mute. Uh, so she uh, comes to audition for the play, and you get this really really emotionally halting scene. Uh, that comes out of nowhere, and it's. So so great it, it's it's one of the it's one of my favorite scenes of 2021 um i'll have to talk to andy about it after he sees it uh it's really great and and it just kind of keeps that going but to wrap this up the problem with drive my car is the runtime it's too long it's <laughs> I was just ask, too long why? it is like that's the one thing if this movie was two hours i would be shouting it from the rooftops i would be like everybody needs to see drive my car it's so powerful it's emotionally gripping i really was moved by this movie it's too damn long <laughs> it makes why is it recommend. three hours long why is it three hours long why is it three hours long um drive my car is three hours long because it is it does. It's a movie. Well, <laughs> Drive My Car. I was gonna say Drive My Car is three hours long, because it's a movie that respects its audience. Drive My Car will tell an entire arc through visuals only, without any words spoken. Because again, it, it starts to kind of transcend this issue of language by approaching this idea that grief is universal and grief is human and like, you know, sadness and sorrow and also happiness and celebration and joy are something that everybody experiences in the same way, regardless of where you're from or who you are. That's, that's, I think part of the central driving notion of drive my car, but there's also a lot of car scenes and a lot of landscapes and a lot of our characters driving. Um, the reason our, our lead has such a, takes such an issue with uh, having a driver is because he's a stage director and an actor and in his car, that's when he runs lines. He, he runs the script in his head. So suddenly when he has a young uh, female driver with him, he's like, well, this is going to be weird when I'm sitting in the back talking to myself <laughs> and acting right. scenes from a play and she's just going to be sitting up there quietly. So you get this kind of wonderful development between them. But you also get, I mean, literally like <laughs> this is going to sound silly, but five, 10 minute sequences of just a car on the road and music and, and, and thoughtful scripting and, and emotion behind that, but also just really long sequences of driving, like, like a long road trip. Additionally, um, to, to offset that, a driving car also has long one take sequences of really good acting, really good acting. There are, there are Academy award nominated snubs in here, honestly, on God, there, there are at least two people in this movie that should have been nominated for ask for, for Oscars. And Andy and I'll talk about it after he sees it. But, 
Um, there are really good bits in here of, of genuine emotion combined with long sequences of, you know, thoughtful emotion when, the, when you're kind of supposed to reflect and think about it. And it's just too long. That's 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 the one thing I don't like about this movie because I can't recommend it to people because it's three freaking hours. Andy, I have full confidence you're gonna like this movie because I already I already know you 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 can appreciate uh, foreign cinema for sure, um, and you'll be able to watch this on HBO when it comes to HBO Max on March second. So you don't need to go see this in theaters. It is coming to HBO very soon. I'll probably watch it again. Um, but watching it at home, you'll have the advantage of an intermission. You'll be able to pause. <laughs> you'll be able to take a break. You can come back if you want. And I think I think that will probably hurt the overall experience like any long movie, but it's necessary. It's just too long. That's the one the one thing about Drive My Car I, I wish I could change. Um, but otherwise, I was really pleased with this movie. If I had seen it last year, it would have made my top 10. It might have made my top five. Um Actually, it almost certainly would have made my top five. Uh, Drive My Car is super good, and I can't wait for Andy to see it so we can talk about it. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking, looking forward to it. Like you said, it comes out uh, March 2nd on HBO. That was just re- very recently announced and secured that release date. So it will be available for you to watch in three three or four parts. Yeah, it was, um, it was nice catching shit from you in the chat when you were like, ha, you paid ticket price <laughs> to see this movie. You paid to see it and spend an and entire day. To, yeah, yeah, that was that was pleasant. So, uh, But honestly, I, 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 I'm going to be pushing hard, dude. When that comes out March 2nd, I'm going to be hitting you up in the DMs. Like, when have you watched it yet? When are you watching it? Can I come over and watch it with you? Um because it's good stuff. A quick content warning. Uh, I don't know if Drive My Car is rated in the States um, as rated R or NC-17. Uh, there is some graphic sexual imagery in the first act of this film. So I would encourage you. I mean, if you're an adult, obviously, like you're fine. But like, I just don't watch it with your parents. <laughs> don't watch it with the kids. Like, don't some, watch it with the parents. I was surprised sitting in the theater. I was like, this isn't an American cinema. Good Lord. Um, it's not too bad, but like just, you know, avoid any awkwardness. Take it serious because the movie takes it serious. It's not it, it is not joking with you when it's showing you anything. Um, yeah. Drive My Car is great. I think it's super good. And if, I think if you like the show, you should, you should totally check it out. Um. And that's it for our show. That's that's the whole thing. Uh, Andy, as far as any like favorite romance, can I hit you with an offbeat one? Sure. It's, I mean, I did. Not, <laughs> yeah, it may not be my favorite, but it's one I, th- I think of a lot. Joe Wright's Pride and Prejudice, starring Keira Knightley right. and uh, Matthew McFadden. Perfectly fine choice. Dude, uh, I still there's still scenes in that movie that give me chills, like the way the music swings in or like a camera will just kind of slowly pull in on something is great. And since then, Joe Wright's gone on to do Darkest Hour with Gary Oldman. He's got Cyrano coming out uh, just this next just this year, I think, with. Uh, uh, my God, I can't remember. Is it Peter Dinklage? Peter um, Dinklage. Yeah. yeah. Joe Wright's done some cool stuff. And, and a lot of that started with Pride and Prejudice. It's a very thoughtful w- film. I wanted to very briefly say, so my pick, Blue Valentine, uh, there's a 2010 movie which came out uh, with starring Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams, which is actually about the end of their relationship, but flashes back constantly to the very beginning of their relationship when they were first first met, very young, and in and in love, and then uh, she gets she gets pregnant very soon into, into dating and they stay together and it's like they're very hopeful as this young struggling couple and you kind of see the downfall of it six years later um it was very powerful and very, very movie but it's what, what i think of i've i've never watched it i, bit I of, heard it was too bit sad. of a bit of a downer yeah but um it, it's a tragedy but it, it's uh that's that's usually how a lot of these love stories end so and 
rock solid performances, by the way, from Gosling, Michelle Williams. I've heard. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I've never, like I said, I've never seen it. I'm sure at some time I'll, I'll get into it. But my God, good God, Andy, what a grim might what a be grim a little bit. Might be yeah. a little devastating. Well, at least you didn't say like you know, Manchester by the Sea. Like that would have been. That, would, that somehow would have been drier than Blue Valentine. Blue Valentine's yeah. dry, but it's bold. <laughs> it did. That actually did come to mind as well because Michelle Williams has a great scene at the end of that as well. Mm. She. It's hard to believe she's in as few scenes as she's in in that movie for as good as she is. Because yeah, she definitely steals him when she's there. She's she's really good in Manchester by the Sea. God. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of dry cinema, Andy, what are we watching next week? We are actually on break next week because, uh, well, there's not anything big coming out. Uncharted is the big release next week, but also yours truly will be uh, getting his eyes zapped, and I'm going to be getting LASIK in two days. Yay! Getting LASIK. Uh, Getting lasered. Yeah, getting lasered. Relatively new development. Actually, something you were going to have a few weeks ago, but due to some inclement weather here in Texas... Uh, yep. you opted to hold off. Uh, I've got questions and I've already asked you a little about it on the show, but I guess, you know, up front, are you nervous? A little nervous. I'd be a little but, nervous. Uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, funny enough, the procedure itself, it's a two step thing. Each step is like 30 seconds. Like, oh, yeah. cause they do, they do it all with, you know, it's machines and lasers and they just do it super fast. So, um, that part's going to be really quick, but I will be there for about three hours on, uh, on game day. Uh, because they have to do a lot of measurements and readings of your eyes. And uh, yes. they do that when you go for a consultancy, but they do them all over again just to double check everything, make sure they know exactly how much to zap uh, your eyes. Silly question. Any like medical, first off, what's what's prep and then post-op look like? Do you have to like drink a lot of water and stay hydrated going into it? Or do you not eat anything? And then afterwards, like you can't look at a screen for a while, right? What's the... Right. All right, so if you're a uh, if you wear contacts, you actually have to not wear them for about a month before the procedure. Oh, damn! Get get your eyes just because because your eyes just are healthier without contacts. So yeah, you know, and let them yeah let them bounce back to their natural buoyancy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm a contact. That, I wear contacts, so yeah, I, I get that. Um. Also, if you're uh for ladies and men, uh, no facial makeup for the week prior to uh to surgery as well because you they you want your eyes as clean as possible and everything around your eyes. I, I'm supposed to do a little bit of like warm compresses to uh kind of run and massage my eyes a little bit. I guess just to uh, get any kind of grime or dirt as make your eyes as moist and as kind of clean as possible uh, right. beforehand. Do they make you do like an eye wash station, like in chemistry class, right? <laughs> I mean, basically, right? I'm sure like they want your eyes Probably. rinsed out and good. Yeah, like you're, yeah. yeah. That makes first, sense. first 24 hours are kind of the most in, intense. You're basically just supposed to go home and sleep. Yeah, as much. No, no small screens. No big, big screens. Really, no reading. Nothing. Then that make that will make your eyes focus for the first uh, 12 to 24 hours. Yeah. After after that, and they give you safety goggles to sleep in so you don't uh, roll around and poke your eye out. And then for the next week, you got to be careful, mostly about things that will dry out your eyes. So actually, one of the, one of the interesting things is no ceiling fans for a week. That is interesting. Don't go outside when it's windy, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, not going to go swimming for, for a week. And so... They said it'll be a little, you know, vision will be a little glary, fuzzy for the first two or three days, and then everything will clear up, and then you, then you just got to mostly be careful. Yeah, for and then you're week. good for, you what, usually 10 to 15 years, and I think you get an adjustment, yeah. or you just start wearing readers, right, and you're fine. Right, yeah. 
Yeah. That's going to be great, man. I'm jealous. I, I really am. That's something I, I've wanted to do for a long time. So, uh, and also, yeah. Well, I said, I'm interested because, you know, obviously that what we do is watch movies and it's going to be interesting to see the difference of, you know, the first time I go into a theater without my glasses on, what's it going to oh, be Oh, dude. Like? Oh, absolutely. You're going to have laser vision. I think you're going to be able to see through time like Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> like you're going to be able to do anything. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for you. It, it'll be good. Honestly, you getting it will probably be a big harbinger if I end up getting it at some point. I'll be like, well, Andy did it. It was great. Why not? Right? Andy, we could do it. Um, so yeah, we follow, we'll, we'll be following your career with great interest. We'll, 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 <laughs> Excellent. We'll see, we'll see what we can find out. Uh, and I think it's probably best we take a break next week. I'm going to be honest. I did want to try to wrangle Andy into going to see Uncharted. I know it's terrible, but I have played all those games and my wife has played all those games and she was low key looking forward to maybe making her first guest appearance on the show. Talk about Uncharted. And then Andy said he was getting LASIK and I was like, okay, well, I don't, I don't expect you to fry your eyes for Uncharted. <laughs> so, maybe, maybe the following week. If, yeah, I was going to say, if we do get to it, yeah, I, I would like to talk about it. And she also, Loki, does very much want to appear on the show at some point. She's got to make her, well, 166 episodes. I've never, she's never made her debut, so I don't know. But that's something to look forward to. So we will be back in March, likely March 1st. That's the first Tuesday of the month. And I think we're going to be right here. Uh, keeping it real and off script. If you enjoyed the show today, God, I just realized how long this episode ran. <laughs> if you if you enjoyed our show today, talking about Death on the Nile or Driving My Car, upcoming trailers or any news, this is stuff we do every single week right here on offscriptfilmreview.com. You, you can subscribe to get the audio version on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play or whatever your favorite podcast provider is. You can follow us on Facebook where we live stream the show every Tuesday or uh, over on YouTube where we post our live streams shortly afterwards. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're around. And you can check out our website at offscriptfilmreview.com. But the best way to get a hold of us is to email us, mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. DMs are great, but those go straight to our inboxes. All right, we can't miss them. We read correspondence on the air and we get it. We talk about movies, you know, uh, that's our whole thing. Movies are expensive, podcasts are cheap, so thanks for keeping it real and with us on Offscript Film Review. And with that, um, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening. <laughs>